back and I'm back with another episode of Elevate and Accelerate. Today, I am extremely excited to introduce you to Carol Bark. She is a neuroscience-based conflict and communication thought leader. She's a best-selling author. She's a keynote speaker. She's a consultant uh, and brings a whole world of experience and has worked with some amazing organizations such as Amazon, the U.S. Air Force, HP, and so much more. She's been recognized by Fox News TV and described as the top neuroscience and conflict resolution expert in the United States. So Carol, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Zach, I'm excited to be here and chat with you. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, being an expert in neuroscience, um, obviously I've talked about story before and how story uh, changes our brain waves and changes the chemicals in our brains, but you come at it from a very uh, different angle, but a very similar angle in some ways too. And that's uh, when it comes to conflict. So we're talking about connection and conflict. So why don't you tell me a little bit of um, what brought you to neuroscience and, and applying that to conflict? Sure. I love the question. It was a really random question. I was living in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and I had a wine bistro and lifestyle store that was branded to go between Dean and DeLucas and William Sonoma in Crate and Barrel and Pottery Barn. So it was a lifestyle store that sold the best of the best, um, you know, so you could get artisan cheese, um, original art, salami, best spaghetti sauce. Uh, yeah, <laughs> a really weird mix. But my uncle Bill Rosenberg founded Dunkin' Donuts, and he also was the creator of franchising. So I was all for following in his footsteps. And I was probably about six months away from my benchmark numbers when my marriage wasn't doing as well as my business. And so I'd filed for a divorce and that created really the darkest chapter of my life um, that caused the fail of the business process and many, many years of fighting in, in court legal battles. And when I was looking at recreating, which I've done so many different times, I found that I was having a hard time bumping up against my own self-imposed glass ceiling. So I was noticing that I lost everything and I'm type A, so I wanted to recreate. But if I recreated, then I could lose things again. And that didn't feel like a good idea to my brain. So I just kept bumping up against this quandary of do I recreate and expose myself to threat or I just stay at the bottom and not have any more things I could lose. And I ran into a group of neuroscientists who were doing some peak performance programs around business. And I started leaning into that information and realizing that that was what I thought the answer would be, you know, and so I started working uh, and learning from them. And I started realizing that, wow, you know, if I can understand what's going on in my brain, then I can cut myself some slack. And I also can work around all those obstacles that we give ourselves just to keep ourselves safe, which is our brain's key mission, right? And I could also understand other people better. And so then that led me into just really leaning into how did it work with conflict and communication, which was really just a byproduct of a really long divorce and many years of fighting. Oh, and so, I mean, you talking about have have done a bunch of different things, right? Like, um, I mean, you were a firefighter for a while um, and now are doing, you know, conflict mitigation and business strategy and stuff like that. And so um, it, you brought up a really interesting point that I wanted to dig in a little bit deeper. In, and that was uh, this idea that your your own brain was kind of stopping you um, and holding you back because we want to be safe. Right. And um, and I've talked about that 
in, in my way of saying, you know, it, we tell ourselves these, these stories, um, and then we believe these stories or others put those stories on us and we believe them. And so you have, have literally lived a life of, um, what seems like from the outside of reinventing yourself. Um, but how would you describe sort of your journey of moving through these different things? Like, what would you say was actually happening? Was it a reinvention? Um, or was it just a continual pursuit of, of what you believed in? That's such a great question. I think it's been a continual reinvention and you and I were talking about this previously a little bit and that it, nothing that I do, um, now or anywhere along the line was anything that I grew up thinking I was going to do or anything I thought was going to be that grand scheme. And I think that that's one of the things as a, as a college professor, when I teach kiddos who are juniors or seniors in college and they're getting ready to go out into the world, many of them still don't know what it is that they want to do, you know, when they grow up. And I don't think there's just one thing. You know, so when, for instance, I originally went to college for marine biology and I got out and went right into banking, you know, which had nothing to do with any of the, the things that I thought I might do that were all science related. But then I was in the San Francisco Bay Area and I was you know, right fresh out of college and the Loma Prieta earthquake hit. And at that point in time, um, you know, people, when there's big disasters, people go home to their families. And I didn't have a family because I was from Las Vegas. So I started volunteering and there was a freeway section called the Cypress structure that collapsed onto itself. Um, and then it trapped the cars and the people within there. And I volunteered um, and they put me out at the spot to support the emergency crews. And I just thought that was the most amazing thing to watch. And then that opened up the next route to going back to school, getting a degree in fire science and becoming a firefighter. So I really think when you live life fully, it's really about embracing all of those random moments and just saying yes to the next best thing and just following forward. You know, there seems to be like a tractor beam that moves you when you're on the right path. And all those paths lead to all these really wonderful twists and turns. And if you can get past the scary part of it, which there always is, and the ambiguity of not knowing, if you just lean into it, it all unfolds really beautifully. Hmm. I, I have this philosophy and have for a while of um, much of like what you're saying, where uh, I just walk through the next open door, you know, and, and whatever that looks like, however that looks, it's like, if the door opens, I step through it and see what's on the other side. And like, you know, and, and it's, uh, it's just really cool the the potential and possibility that happens and the relationships that are formed. And I mean, you're you're a living example of of what that could look like. I love that we share that. And I also think there's another part of those open doors that you walk through is I think you have to hold the door open for the next person. I think there is reciprocity that happens within the universe that when you're saying yes and moving forward and somebody's opening up the door and giving you opportunities, you also have that responsibility to do that with all those coming behind you. And I think that, that that's where a lot of the magic sauce comes from in that whole process. I absolutely agree. I mean, it's all about how you can help other people. Right. And, um, and I talk about how success, um, really is at that intersection of you living the life that you want while also helping other people to live the life that they want to. And, um, and that's really, you know, what we call a life of joyful impact and, and people define that very differently. But, um, so 
my next question here, and, and I love, I love science. Um, you know, I, I listen to all sorts of science-based podcasts and stuff just for fun. I don't have a, a certificate from MIT, um, but I would love to hear, uh, like some of us here, um, but I would love to hear from you. I mean, there's, when it comes to conflict, um, I, I lived a good portion of my life avoiding conflict. That was, conflict was not my thing. I didn't want to go anywhere near it. Um, and then there's also a healthy way of doing conflict. Um, and as I've started to understand myself, my own brain and what goes on, how to walk into that. But um, some people might not, they might not be, um, have conflict and conflict mitigation and mediation as their job, um, but they deal with conflict every day within their lives, either with themselves, with family members, with, with whoever, friends. Um, so from like a neurological standpoint, from an experience standpoint, uh, what does that look like? I mean, what really is going on? Um, what stories are popping into people's heads? What are they telling themselves and how do we start to overcome some of that stuff? Absolutely. So really when you, you hit the nail on the head with the question of what stories are in our heads and that's really what makes conflict harder for us because most people don't wake up other than if you're in the line of work that I am that we're like okay who are we going to fight with today you know but <laughs> oftentimes conflict is really roughly the same as negotiation right somebody else wants something and you want something and we have to have conversations with it so whether they're you know really high conflict and you know where we're really going at it or whether they're subtle negotiations and conversations that position us for what we're after we have you're right we do have those every day and a lot of times i find that where people really mess up is with those darn stories and so if you think of it oftentimes if it's you versus me I start giving you adjectives, uh, you know, and I and usually they're not very good, you know, like you're a pain in the neck or you're a problem or you're obstinate. They're not usually that. Wow, he's really engaging and this is great to have a difficult conversation. They're usually negative. So then our brain turns around and says, OK, now I need to fix Zach rather than the problem. So our brains are focused on the absolute wrong thing. And yet, if I can change what my brain is focusing on and let it know that that you're not the problem, that the problem's the problem, and that you're my colleague who's solving this with me, then all of a sudden you become an ally and my brain doesn't reject every darn thing that you say. You know, so those types yeah. of things can be subtle. But an, another way that we impact stories is every time we tell ourselves something or our brain tells us something, then there's chemicals that are released that then impact our emotions, which then pop out as feelings. And a lot of times those are also negative, especially if you're conflict adverse. And so sometimes you can do something as simple as thinking of something different because it takes roughly 90 seconds for those first waves of chemicals to get uh, really neutralized. So if you keep finding that you're act, um, activated by whatever it is you're fighting with, oftentimes because it's you just keep rethinking the same story. So if you can change what you're thinking about or take a time out or relax uh, and, you know, talk about the weather or whatever, oftentimes that can help you, your brain get back in the game so you can have a conversation that's not one where you walk away going, dang it, why didn't I say whatever it was? You know, so little things like that can make it so much easier. And is, is 
obviously I can see how this applies to interpersonal relationships, right? But I mean, you help people um, at the very top of corporate organizations and and then down the line, right? And so, um, you know, when you get into the workplace, uh, I imagine too that there's a level of indifference, I guess, that comes into play a lot of times too when it comes to conflict because people are, you know, they're just like, well, it's my job. Like, I don't need to build deep connections or relationships with people like, or whatever that might be. Um, and then you brought up another point too, about how it's not just conflict, but it also applies to negotiation, um, and how, um, and how you communicate. So can you talk a little bit of how you really work with organizations, um, and, and larger audiences and sort of what you, what the process is that you walk them with, uh, walk them through? Sure. With organizations, it's really an interesting thing. So my PhD work is in peak performance psychology and how that overlaps the neuroscience and the conflict resolution. And so really, when you think about the world out there and whatever industry we're dealing with, but especially with the really competitive industries like um, like banking or finance or manufacturing or tech, where they all have access to hiring the smartest people in the world that they can get. And everyone thinks they're hiring the best people that they can get. Really, if we all are functioning at a level, where's up? Well, that's really managing your brain. And there's so many little things that happen at the workplace that make people not feel like working their peak performance best or you know don't really want to get lean in and um one of um, the people out there that work on this a lot david rock has a model of change called the scarf model and it's an acronym so um, s stands for status c stands for certainty a stands for autonomy, um, R stands for relatedness, and F stands for fairness. And so sometimes it's these little things like fairness, for instance. So say um, you and I work together, you're my boss, and you hire a friend because you guys go to lunch all the time. And all of a sudden, that's not fair, right? So then our brains are really have a big portion that's related to social connection. So we didn't make it to where we're at today because we were the fastest animals in the planet or the strongest or had the biggest claws or biggest teeth. Mm. A lot of it was because we collaborated. And so part of our brain is really interested in that. So when things go wrong at the workplace, a lot of times it goes back to fairness. So even if maybe you're not being unfair to me, but you're being unfair to somebody I'm watching, then I, in theory, could be next. And I we're right fighters for fairness. Or oftentimes change comes down from the top and we don't ever talk to the people who we're impacting on that, who actually know how it's going to uh, impact the organization. And even if you don't do what those people recommend, if you at least listen to them and tell them that there's something that's coming, then you don't get if you're in leadership, you don't get the pushback that you would because they know that you're taking their thoughts into consideration and you're listening. And so little things like that can really like stop things before it begins and really help people feel like they're more of a collaborative team than just a expendable resource. That's uh it's really fascinating to me that you you kind of honed in on that word of fairness, right? I mean, I've got I've got 3 kids, uh 7, 4 and 3, right? And so Ooh. fairness is a very big thing. <laughs> uh that's not fair. This isn't fair. Yeah. I remember growing up, 
you know, and I'm sure you've probably heard this too, but it's this idea, well, life isn't fair, right? That was always the answer. Well, life isn't fair, right? So um, I, I imagine you probably run into that mentality a lot, especially in the business world, but it sounds like you're saying that fairness is actually a really important part of this whole process. And so how do you, how do you create that and how do you overcome that sort of instilled obstacle? It seems like that, um, that comes into the picture. Yeah. So with fairness, I mean, it really is significant for all of us in there. And so I put that almost in that that's not fair thing with the, um, that's your problem, not my problem. But if we're in conflict, then my problem is your problem if we're going to get past it. So that fairness factor really becomes important. And the trick is, again, the lens that we're viewing it through. So what might feel fair to one person isn't necessarily fair to the other person. And so sometimes we're really managing perceptions. And that's another thing people argue a lot about is how one person perceives it versus the other. And we spend so much time saying, well, this is how I see it. And then you say, well, you're wrong because this is how it is. And I'll say, well, that's not true. It's this way. We're arguing ourselves in circles and not making any progress. So really trying to figure out how can we make this fair to both of us is something that really lies in the, the heart of that. And sometimes it if we're just fighting or negotiating from a competitive standard, which we oftentimes do in the United States, we tend to be pretty competitive. So it's like I win or you win and it's at the expense of the other so that there's just two solutions. But there's been some research done that separates average negotiators from really good negotiators. And they say the average negotiators come up with 2.6 solutions which is just a click above, I win or you win, right? But mm -hmm. really good negotiators come up with more than five. So that means we have to really figure out, okay, so if it's fair to you, you get this. If it's fair to me, I get this. What other things do we need in that fairness factor? What's really the why behind that, that, that we are aiming for? Because maybe we can get more creative with how we do things. And so then the last little kind of pro tip is you do this brainstorming first and then you pick second. So uh, from doing research, I found that if you have an idea and I'm mad at you, I say no, you know, and then you I'll say, I think we should do this. And you're also mad at me. You say no. And we could go through all those five different ideas and we'll shoot them all down. But if we brainstorm together and go, which, which of these do you want? we pick and which is really great. Um, be, we might not pick one. We might say, well, I want part of this one and part of that one, but we do it. So it was interesting. Like what you had talked about too, is when you, when you come into this, it's, it's perception, right? And we have two different perceptions. And I heard this the other day and I, I really wish I could have remembered who said it, but um, it's this, the difference between perception and perspective. And it's like this idea that like when we're really self-focused or when we're just focused on what's going on, it's our perception, right? And, and that's true to us, but it may not be true of the bigger picture. When we zoom out a little bit and we have perspective, then we can see, you know, like you said, these five different solutions that may come. And it sounds like that's what good negotiators and good, you know, conflict management people can really do is, is zoom out and help other people to zoom out too. For sure. And uh, William Urey, who is a professor out of Harvard and wrote the book Getting to Yes, he calls that going to the balcony where you really just take a step away and 
and really get out of that tunnel vision of I need this, I need this, I need this, and only this, and start looking at what is the broader thing that we're after. But there's also the reality that what my brain sees and perceives is different than what your brain sees and perceives, even if we're having the same experience, because our brains filter information differently. So for an example, when I wanted to become a firefighter, I started seeing fire engines everywhere. And it wasn't that they put out a whole new fleet for me. I mean, it's fun to think about. It was just that I was interested and my brain goes, oh, this is relevant now. And you might notice it where um, maybe you want to go buy a new vehicle and you've narrowed it down to a certain kind of vehicle and you start seeing it out on the road everywhere. That's also your brain filtering. So this is why you could have a whole different take on the situation than I do. And that's where the way through that is to become curious and really explore what is it that you're seeing and why is this so important to you versus me just powering through that it has to be my way so realizing that we're all having very unique experiences and they all could be right yeah yeah exactly <laughs> um stephen covey talks about uh think win-win right and so um that's it sounds like that's a little bit of the idea but i've, I've heard other people say that like win-win isn't real, like, or it's not actually possible. And so what would, I mean, it sounds like you're kind of saying that there, there is in, in just about every circumstance, a possibility for all parties to win. I mean, is that, is that really a thing or, or what are you, what would be yeah, your Yeah, it's funny. I find that when, in the research that I've done, and this is, this is going to offend a lot of your, your watchers, but when I look at like, who are the better mediators or the people who are better at getting better agreements. It's usually women over men in the research. Um, they seem to have more data points that help them find different ways to help people be heard. And many times there's the things we want, and then there's the things that we need. So I've mediated um, or negotiated cases where people are going after large sums of money. And at the end, all they really wanted was an apology and they're willing to just let it all drop because they just wanted somebody to acknowledge that what went down wasn't appropriate. And so um, Chris Voss, for instance, uh, doesn't like win-win. He doesn't like that term. And yeah. yeah, and people in the legal world will oftentimes say like a good mediation is one where um, you both go away unhappy which means you both given something. And I actually very much disagree with both of those approaches. Maybe you've compromised, but at the end of the day, if you've all done a good job having a conversation and you've managed what people are thinking, maybe you've made some concessions, but you feel really satisfied about the conversation. You felt heard. You felt that fairness factor has taken place. And at the end of the day, you sleep well and you're able to put it behind you because all of it's been addressed and we're not leaving a fight for another day. So, yes, I think you can do that. I wholeheartedly think you can do that. And I mean, you bring obviously a, a level of knowledge and expertise to that conversation. But, um, you know, you mentioned briefly here, you also bring a level of experience. I mean, it, it sounded like when going through your divorce, it was long, there was a lot of litigation, a lot of stuff. And so, you know, you, you bring, you bring a level of understanding to that, to that room, I imagine, 
um, because of what you went through. So um, can you kind of talk a little bit more of, you know, your experience and and why that makes you so passionate about helping people in this way? Yes, um, that's that's a tricky one to talk about right now, because. Um, well, let me just give you a little background. So yes, I've gone through all of that and I now have overseen or facilitated more than 12,000 negotiations or mediations wow. of all different kinds from family law to criminal law to international business and everything in between. So I can't say I've seen it, done it all, but I've done a lot. And some of them are very high stakes in, in regard to the finances. Um, but then going back to just my divorce and that fighting. So we fought for three and a half years. And then every two years, um, my ex would bring me back into court and we'd have another round. And so it was something like you schedule your teeth getting cleaned. I could schedule. I knew I'd be getting served because it was just the latest round, which was a terrible way to live. Um, but I had three children in the middle of all of this as well. And there was a, a long story of a lot of fallout and trauma for those kiddos. And uh, if I look back on it, what got me into this field was knowing how hard those moments were and thinking, man, if I could help other people avoid all those pitfalls that I went through, I can't say I always took the high road. I can't say that I always did the right thing. I mean, looking back, there's a lot of things I wish that I could have changed. But one of the things that I will tell you is, um, and it's so dear to my heart, is a month ago, my middle child um, took his life. And um, I look back and go, hmm, what should I have done different? What did I do that I shouldn't have done? What could I have tried that I didn't try? And I think that sometimes when we get into these arguments and, and fights, it's really because the stakes aren't high enough. You know, if they were really higher, uh, you would make different decisions and you'd do anything it took to get through those things. And sometimes I think we just get stuck fighting because we want to win and we want to be right. And at the end of the day, that just gives you nothing but regrets. And when I was a, a firefighter, I would tell you that, um, you know, fire, fires don't occur all that often. There's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of things that we're doing that are more medical related or accident related or training and prep related. And so sometimes we would get really snarky with each other in the fire department, you know, and it, we would just like start tearing into each other. And then there'd be what we would call a good fire, which sounds horrible to people, but it meant that we finally got to do what we trained to do. So no disrespect to anyone and, and not that we want anyone to have any harm, but then all of a sudden we were all friends again, right? You know, because we got that edge off. We were living our purpose. And so when I think about how you fix this and what got me there and what I would recommend people do is get past it, like lean in and get past it and let go of those things that really in the long run don't matter at all. Hmm. Well, thank you for your vulnerability. Um, you know, I can't imagine, but thanks for sharing that. And um, you know, like you said, it's, it's life is a dance and it throws us all sorts of different curveballs and twisted things. And, uh, we try to find our ways through that. Um, and you've done an amazing job in your own way of, of helping other people through the, the challenges that they're facing. Um, so, so thank you for that. Um, 
what um what's next for you um what are what's kind of uh on the horizon as far as you know what you're what you're doing what you're hoping to be doing more of um share a little bit of of that with us yes thanks i love that so for me next things are i'm working on a book that'll come out probably by may of next year and i'm really leaning into doing more keynotes because i love helping um people you know in groups and even in organizations, I love helping them, but I really would like to get in front of more people so we can share this message and give people skills faster so that we can hopefully help reverse some of the trend that is towards more higher conflict in the world and maybe dial that back a little bit with a little bit of humanity, a little bit of neuroscience and a little bit of reality checking. So keynotes are definitely where I'm heading. I've been working with um, a movement coach, John Louis Rodriguez. He's worked with Margot Robbie out of, you know, who's Barbie and Leonardo DiCaprio and many, many favorite or famous actors and actresses. So I'm really leaning into the stories that you're talking about and how can I use stories in a way that um, captivates audiences and still gives them something to take away. So many times when we do keynote speeches or listen to them, if you think about it, they're fun and they're entertaining, but then you kind of forget about it and life goes on. My goal is to actually share information so that the keynote is fun and entertaining and yet you have some absolute new tools at the end of your time listening to me. I love that. Um, it's all about the application, right? I mean, you can, you can go and be inspired and ready to go, but you've got to take a step. Yeah. Um, and, and that's awesome. And I love that angle. So um, as we kind of close up here, um, what, would, what would be that first step that somebody could take? Let's say they're dealing with conflict in their own life right now, whether that's with a family member or otherwise, um, what's something or a couple of things that they could do in the moment to, to help them through that and, and negotiate it even? Sure. There's a, another acronym that I like to use called the OFTEN strategy. And so it's a way of framing what it is that you're experiencing instead of starting with a you did this or I'm really mad. It's a way that you can share something and people can hear it easier. And so O stands for observe, F stands for feel, T stands for think, E stands for empathize, and then N stands for negotiate. So I might say that say the kitchen is really dirty and my son loves for me to make him breakfast every morning and his job is to do the dishes so that the kitchen's clean and i come down one morning and it's dirty i could say um, when my son gets up son when i came down i observed that the kitchen was thrashed like nothing had gotten cleaned up and that made me feel really angry because that's the one chore that you have and I think you probably wanted to game rather than do the chores. And I know that's important to you. And I want you to be able to have the time. And I know that's in the evening. But I think we probably ought to sit down and negotiate a new process so that I don't wake up angry and you still get your breakfast. You know, And so I'm not attacking him and I'm giving him... Yeah the realization that I get where he's coming from too. And I'm asking him to join me in a dialogue. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely. Yeah. That was incredible that you yeah. just kind of knocked that out there like that. So, yeah. um, very obviously you're, you're good at what you do. And I guess after 12,000 of those, you, you would be too. <laughs> um, so, well, Carol, um, thank you so much for joining me today. I mean, obviously, uh, there's so much more that we could talk about. Um, there's so much more that you could share. Um, if somebody wanted to find out more, um, or, or digest more of the information that you have, or, or kind of find out more about what you're doing, I mean, what would be a good way, uh, for them to be able to do that? They could go to my website, carolbarks.com. Um, again, thank you so much. Uh, it's been an honor talking with you. Um, and I look forward to seeing, you know, these next steps and, and where you go and where you take it and how you really inspire, um, you know, uh, probably a very large global audience um, with with the information that you have. So. Uh, so thank you. Thanks again for having me, Zach. I so appreciate you. Yeah. And thank all of you for joining us. Um, as always, if you found this information helpful, please like, share, uh, be really uh, inspirational for all of us to understand how to uh, understand conflict, how to move through conflict, um, and really be able to do it in a way uh, where we all walk away feeling a lot better about it. So uh, appreciate you all joining us. And until next time, keep elevating. And